Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls. For more breakdowns on the Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. What's up, Pels fans? Welcome to a very special post-sweet podcast episode of The Bird Calls. I'm your host, Preston Ellis. Today, we are recapping the only team so far to survive the first round four to zip, and the only team there will be uh, having the Golden State lost to the Spurs the other night. But before we turn our attention to those Golden State Warriors, in all likelihood, our second round foe, to do it, we have to we have to talk about the Blazers first. To do that, we're going to talk to award-winning journalist David McKay, but first, the editor-in-chief to TheBirdRice.com, Mr. Ali Cosell. How are you doing, sir? How you doing, Preston? I'm doing great on this lovely 75-degree weather day in New Orleans. How about you? I'm doing very well. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. It is equally beautiful over here in Orlando, and I am actually going to a happy hour with some friends after this. So kudos to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, gee, okay, thanks. Uh, so I am in good spirits. Also joining him, his celebrity buddy, fresh off this morning's television appearance on the hot seat, which I think is debuting sometime tonight around 10 p.m. Central Time. Mr. David Grubb, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well. Uh, always a pleasure to be here with you, Preston. And of course, you know, got to talk to Ali yesterday. And uh, so let's do this, man. I'm happy. Now, before we get to the other David, Mr. David McKay, uh, tell us a bit about where uh, our listeners can see you, Ollie, Jake Madison, and Fletcher Mackle tonight. What was last night? Oh, wait. <laughs> forget it. Nobody can watch it. Moving on. Finally, <laughs> editor to theblazersedge.com, Mr. Award-winning journalist, the other David here. We're going to refer to him as McKay today because that just sounds cool. Mr. David McKay, how are you recovering from what must have been a wild weekend full of questions? You know, uh, surprisingly well. We finally got some sunshine here. Okay, I think the people who, <laughs> I think the, uh, those who who drown their sorrows are sober enough for Monday morning, and you know we're gonna we're gonna move forward and just see how it goes. 
I think we've got a Pelicans fan masquerading as our Blazers expert here on the line. Of course, you can follow these three at Ali Cosell, at DM Grubb, and at David McKay, NBA. And I'm going to start with Ali, partially because he's my boss, and secondly, because he's good-looking. Ali, let's talk about the first uh, the first series sweep of the first round, of course. Uh, Drew Holiday, Anthony Davis, 88 points, the most point scored by any tandem second most ever first uh i can't remember what it was since 2000 other than lebron and kyrie who did it in the mm-hmm. 2016 nba finals i think tim cato posted something about that the pelicans won in every way possible in this series they had that defensive slugfest 97 95 in the first matchup in the fourth matchup they couldn't seem to stop the blazers but it didn't really matter aminu got his cj mccollum got his and anthony davis and drew holiday could not be stopped were you surprised to see the pelicans not only play one style but pretty much play every style and every victory in this series. I was a little surprised simply by the fact of the 4-0 sweep, Preston. Uh, you, you can never count on a team, even if one team's better than the other, as we've seen, uh, where the Spurs have already taken one from the Golden State Warriors, Minnesota's taken one from the Rockets. You don't expect a team to just flat-out sweep another when you're going to play four t- times in a row. Because everybody in the playoffs technically is there for a reason. So you would have thought Portland would have gotten one. So that's where my surprise comes comes it doesn't come from the execution simply because of, um alvin gentry and i guess darren ehrman especially put in a game plan that really really worked and they uh the portland trailblazers were not able to make any kind of adjustments to circumvent what they were doing in other words taking away uh their two-headed snake where they cut off at least one uh throughout the game and that is of course damian lillard cj mccullum yeah, we're definitely going to get into Dame. I'm going to go over to David Grubb with this one, talking about some of the adjustments Portland attempted to make in that game four. We knew that they were going to be aggressive. We knew they were going to throw the kitchen sink at the Pelicans to try to get a win and get back to Portland and potentially change things up. Alvin Gentry said after the game, they changed a couple of things. They were very good, and they made some adjustments that were good that kind of kept some of the double teams off those guys, of course, referring to C.J. McCollum. But I still thought in the end, offensively, we were really, really good, and we shot the ball extremely well. And I thought that when we had to make a couple of defensive plays we did talk about the resiliency of these pelicans we knew that they had faced adversity all season long but we 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 had some conversations about the pelicans potentially out coaching the blazers in some periods of this uh four game series but with that being said when the players had to step up be it the the technical fouls the flagrant fouls when these guys tried to get into their heads when they made adjustments it just didn't seem to matter the pelicans always stepped up when it mattered who do you attribute to uh that the most to david David Grubb. Well, I think the first credit, you know, always goes to the coaching staff because they have to have a pulse on the team. And Alvin Gentry knows his team very well. Um, but second, I think a lot of credit has to go to both Drew Holiday and Rajon Rondo. Um, Drew, uh, after the after game four, uh, Rajon talked about that Drew came to him and said hey, at halftime and in a forceful manner uh, said, you know, we have to keep our heads because you know, Rondo had gotten into a little bit of a physical confrontation um, after uh, a foul, um, um, a, a loose ball. And then, of course, you had the, the technical foul earlier on um, Etuan Moore, uh, drive to the basket where he was pulled by his shoulders. And the team really didn't let that get to them. Um, and I think that was a real regrouping that they had to do at halftime because as the second half uh, got started and, and Portland made their run, the Pelicans had high emotion, but they were in control of them. There was a fire to compete, but not a, a desire to get into uh, uh, 
kind of a shouting match or a physical match with the Portland Trailblazers. It just simply became a battle of who had the more basketball skills. And you didn't really see from Portland side any cheap shots in the second half either. It was just a really intense playoff basketball game. And so, again, I think it goes back to the coaches. And then you have those two guards who should be the leaders in, in keeping your team's uh, uh, mental uh, uh, mental health together uh, in Holiday and Rondo doing that at, at a very high level. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we're going to get to this a little bit later, but of the four stars for the Pelicans, three of them shot 57% on the series, Rajon Rondo being the fourth with 49%. And I haven't even checked Etwan Moore's numbers, uh, just of those big four. Uh, Mr. David McKay, or McKay, as we like to call him here, of Blazers Edge, I want to throw this over to you. Five technicals, a flagrant from C.J. McCollum that David Grubb just mentioned, 76 points from Al Farouk Amino and C.J. McCollum. They both came up big in this game, C.J. specifically with 38. However, Damian Lillard has to be the disappointing story coming into this one, 18 points on just 35% shooting from the field. I think Pelicans fans would have been thrilled hearing those numbers for, for one or even two games from the series, but pretty much all four games he was held in check by drew holiday and company do you walk away feeling disappointed with his performance or do you think the pelicans just had a game plan that took him away and the other guys didn't step up enough oh absolutely i mean i think you want dame to do a little better than he did but a big part of that was just the pelicans defensive scheme like they threw the traps at him and and you know with the blazers didn't adjust and you have i mean uh, that does a couple of things first and foremost obviously dame's not scoring which is huge because he's the Blazers' leading scorer. But secondly, you know, he's not setting up his teammates. He's not getting amazing dimes out of the trap. He's getting rid of the ball. So when you look at the roster and you say, like, outside of Dame, CJ, and maybe Evan Turner, these are mostly spot-up shooters, you know. So we're, we're not seeing a, a huge surge from the supporting cast that should be able to step up. Like you said, you know, Aminu had a big series. He had a big game. But on the whole, when you force someone else who's not Damian Lillard to play basketball for Portland, you're probably going to have a pretty good shot at winning it. And Damian, uh, this isn't something new for him. This is something that I, I've looked at in recent days where, um, you know, the Blazers, I, I know uh, you saw this on Twitter. The Blazers have lost three first round series in his tenure and combined he's shot, I think, sub 25% from three in those series. Uh, he averages fewer points per game. And like the numbers we saw in this one, you mentioned the the Pelicans fans would have been giddy to see that 18 points per game. He, he had worse than his rookie numbers, which is just absurd and a credit to the Pelicans defense. Yeah, the Pelicans definitely focused. I'm going to uh, follow up with you. The Pelicans definitely focused on uh, the Blazers' backcourt here, and they might have needed a little bit more distribution and ball handling uh, down in the post with guys like Evan Turner and Yusuf Nurkic, who kind of came and went as the series went along. Of course, in Game 2, Evan Turner was just 0 for 6. In Game 3, Yusuf Nurkic was just 1 for 4 in the first half, guys that they really needed to step up. And Dame had a quote after Game 3, uh, David McKay, basically saying that he had never been defended like that before in his tenure in Portland. I asked Steve DeWald about it, and he said against the Clippers in 2015, uh, they, they kind of pressured him the same way, but they had Mason Plumley in the post, who was a bit better at distributing in that series than Yusuf Nurkic. What do you think about the Pelicans so confused Damian Lillard to a point where he seems so exasperated that he had never been defended that way in his career? Well, if I remember correctly, I, I saw the same interviews that uh, the bigs were staying on the trap. You know, the guard, <clears throat> excuse me, wasn't leaving. Well, when the guard left, the big wasn't leaving. Yeah. I got all jumbled there. Anyway, uh, <laughs> they, were, they were running it really well. And uh, if we look back at the Clippers, like you said, 
I think they would have had a similar situation that the Pelicans did had Chris Paul and Blake Griffin not gotten hurt. You know, the high screens were, were always trouble there. And uh, yeah, the, the, whew, the Pelicans, man, they were, they were doing good stuff. And you have, I, I think it was a uh, Miritich when they, they come in like blitz that pick and roll and he comes over and stops Dame from proceeding like Miritich isn't the best defender in terms of footwork. He's not going to like track Dame all the way to the hoop, but you have Anthony Davis waiting there and there was just no route to success for Damian. Yeah. It was really interesting the way the Pelicans were able to pressure the perimeter at some point during the regular season. Ollie will know this number better than I will, but the Pelicans were allowing the most three pointers to be taken. I don't know precisely how many of those they were hitting, but teams were launching at the Pelicans at a record rate. And since the Pelicans kind of forced uh, the Blazers to take these wild contested three point shots in this series, and they had Nikola Meritich and Anthony Davis in the paint blocking shots at a frenzied rate. I think Nikola Meritich averaged something like, I don't know, 2.8 blocks. And of course, Anthony Davis was right around there as well. Let's talk about expectations, what were met and what weren't met. Ali, I'm going to start with you. Of course, Alvin Gentry, his whole staff, uh, Chris Finch, Darren Ehrman can't give them enough praise. But let's go back to the to the four leaders of the Pelicans: AD thirty three twelve and three blocks, Drew twenty eight seven and four, Nico eight ten and four point three stocks that steals and blocks. All three of those guys shot fifty seven percent from the field. And then of course there's Rajon Rondo at eleven thirteen and eight, and he shot forty nine percent and forty three percent from three. Although I think he only took about two shots a game. I don't have that number in front of me. I was a little suspect of Nikola Miritich. We know that he had been playing well heading into the playoffs five games at something like 26 and 12 but I thought that Portland being the fourth rated defense in the NBA would be able to take away at least one of these guys which of these four and you can include Alvin Gentry in this Ali surprised you the most <sighs> I, I have to go with Drew Holiday's offense um, I know that there's a lot of people you can point out for various reasons but to see Drew Holiday become the second best player maybe even the best player of the series had to shock anybody, everybody, everybody watching. You knew Anthony Davis was going to be number one. Then everybody, of course, expected Damian Lillard and probably C.J. McCollum to be two and three. Nope. It was A.D. and Drew neck and neck, really. One A and one B is probably the best way to call it. So to see these two guys, not only did the Pelicans play the better defense, have the better game plan, and I don't think enough credit was given to their offense, especially in that last game. You know, you harp on that Damian Lillard suffered through the series with Porsching, but in that last game, he went seven for 16, and the rest of the starters, Portland starters, that is, they all shot over 50%. But the Pelicans, honestly, were comfortably ahead throughout most of that game. And why? It was their offense. Uh, they got to the line. The biggest reason, of course, was getting to the line. Portland tried to play a little tougher, a little more physical, and guess what? It led to 39 free throw attempts. But that said, the Pelicans' ne offense never wavered, I thought, throughout the series. They had a little bit of issues in that first game, getting in – uh, getting going, getting in that rhythm. And this was especially true when Rondo wasn't out there. But, you know, games two through four, I thought, honestly, their offense was outstanding. And, of course, it goes, I think, directly to that starting lineup. Um, not only did I say that Drew Holiday is, was my biggest surprise, but credit to all of those guys. Nikola Miritich, what he's added to this starting lineup, to this group over, like, their last 20, I think, 21, 22 games combined has been incredible, where they've just been tearing apart uh, teams, opponents. And then each one more is kind of nice to see that, the uh, role players press, and they all stepped up. When you look at the uh, numbers, guess what? AD and Drew, of course, combined for around 60 points. But then you had um, Rondo, Moore, Clark, Miller, and Miritich all shoot over 40% from three. That's huge. That's absolutely huge. 
Yeah, we would definitely love for them to take more shots. But when they did take the shots, uh, it it mattered in a counter. And I, I think it was at the end of game three, whenever the Pelicans had a substantial lead to end the third. And the Blazers were able to pull it within three, 81-78. And then Darius Miller and Ian Clark come off the bench and they hit two back-to-back critical three-pointers that gave us a nine-point lead heading into the fourth quarter. So definitely got got what we needed from those guys when we needed it. I'm going to ask you the same question, Grub. Uh, Another person to point at is Rajon Rondo. I think there have been some debates back and forth about playoff Rondo, how different his numbers are per 36. uh, Per 36, if you wait against the regular season, it's about the same. He's about at 12 and 12. Here his numbers are 11 and 13. He rebounded at a better rate and he shot at a better rate. But defensively is where he really made his mark. Uh, Steals, just getting into passing passing lanes, pairing him against Evan Turner was an an amazing success early on the first two games of the series answer the same question that Ali got of those four players plus Alvin Gentry who did you walk away most surprised by their level of performance over the series I think the answer again is Drew Holiday um you know I don't I don't really believe in the playoff Rondo thing I think if you watch defensively he had been trending up before the playoffs began um this and and I think Alvin Gentry did a great job of just managing his minutes Uh, so that he could play 30 plus minutes here in the playoffs and but Drew Holiday again to for him to be doing what he did offensively we know he's a great defender and he did an outstanding job in every game Uh, uh, I think what people shot less than 30 percent against him for the series so that wasn't unexpected but the performance that he had in game four where he was just so relentless and going to the basket he took a couple of threes early on and I know Ali and I kind of were just like, you know, we don't like to see those early three pointers from him. You want to see him be aggressive. But once that switch hit and he saw that they couldn't stop him from going downhill, he just continued to attack the basket. And more than that, what you don't see out of Drew a lot is drawing fouls. And he was able to get to the line repeatedly um, and not just in those situations where Portland had to foul. He was creating the contact. He was finishing through contact and and getting both the score and the uh, free throw. So that was incredibly impressive. And, and, and it really has launched Drew Holiday from a guy who people were kind of talking about to a national player um, and, and getting, you know, when he was on ESPN this morning on Get Up talking about uh, this is his time. And, and quite frankly, it just may be. I'm going to throw this over to David McKay before we get into Golden State Warrior talk. In terms of the Pelicans' performance versus the Trailblazers and what the Pelicans can be able to do in round two, a lot of people are already picking the Warriors with or without Steph. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about some of those numbers of some of our own listeners in a bit. Basically, what I'm asking you is weigh the Pelicans' performance against the Portland Trailblazers in terms of what the Pelicans did well and what the Blazers just weren't able to execute. There were some numbers posted on Twitter today that the Portland Trailblazers had the most open spot-up shots of any team in the playoffs, and they just weren't able to convert on them. Now, the Pelicans are going to face another offensively uh, incredible team in Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, uh, all-star Draymond Green, who's not shooting as well this year, but certainly has the capability to put up 30 po- uh, points plus as he did in the two. 2016 game seven finals talk about what the pelicans were able to do in terms of slowing down the blazers was it just all the pelicans and an incredible defensive plan or do you think the blazers came up short a little of both but i don't think it's going to work very well against the warriors simply because like the blazers start and end with damian lillard if your plan is to stop him you've got a good plan if you're looking at the warriors and your plan is to stop one of four or five megastars you know you're going to have a real issue. And I I don't think you're going to have the same success against them. Uh, 
Although, you know, I, I'd love to see the Pelicans make it a competitive series, but I mean, with or without Stephen Curry, you still have Kevin Durant. You still have Draymond Green. And I'm really looking forward to that matchup, seeing uh, Draymond defend Anthony Davis and uh, seeing Anthony Davis try and stop KD and, and uh, Draymond, et cetera. Anyway, um, yeah, I, you know, I think um, that if you look at the way the Blazers play and the way the Warriors play, seeing the Pelicans absolutely decimate the Blazers, just flat out pancake them, was fascinating for one. But I mean, also, you're not going to see that happen with Golden State. It's it's the difference between uh, like, you know, stopping a middle school team and stopping a high school team or stopping a high school team and stopping a college team. And that's not to take away anything from the Blazers, but you look at the way the West is structured. You have this elite upper echelon tier of, you know, Golden State and then, well, and also the Rockets, of course. Um, and, and you have this huge slide of teams that are kind of in the mix. And the Pelicans, like, they got the Blazers. They got the better of them. The coaching was fantastic. The scheme was flawless. It was, it was very well done. And I don't see them having that same level of success against a team in that upper bracket. Interesting. Before we let you go, again, this is David McKay, Blazers Edge, editor, award-winning journalist. Why don't you give us a prediction for the following season uh, series? Why don't you give one with Steph and without Steph? Uh, with Steph, I give you guys a 4-1 loss. Without Steph, I give you guys... <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. Hey, that's <laughs> fine. That's fine. He wants his predictions in there, too. Um... <laughs> Without Steph, I could see you guys taking it to six. Um, I know, you know, here in Portland, obviously, there, there's sort of this recency bias where people are seeing the Pelicans and going like, oh, my God, I think they have a shot. And, you know, uh, I would really like for you guys to make it competitive, and I think you can. But I think six games is the cap, and that's without Steph Curry. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, Sorry, that's my dog, buddy. Somebody rang the doorbell. I have a note on there not to ring the doorbell, but who needs to read nowadays? (laughs) I'm locked inside my closet right now, and still you can hear him as if he's in the room with me. Uh, Thank you so much. This is David McKay. Again, Blazers Edge. Make sure to follow those guys. They're a great follow, smart group, great content all the time. David, are we going to see you at Summer League, sir? Uh, We'll see. I mean, uh, it just kind of depends how how we decide to, like, who we descend to. decide to send uh from blazer's edge you know my role has been a little bit diminished there as i've taken on other endeavors but uh i'll be around all right david mckay follow him at david mckay nba thank you so much sir and we will talk to you soon moving right along we're going to get right back to uh mr david grubb and ali cosell we'll, we'll start with ali one of the great focal points of this series where it really turned in the pelicans favor was the third quarter where the pelicans managed to outscore these guys 132 to 104 over the life of the series and of course uh the the most pivotal one i think was game three where they came out and they won 42 to 31 however it was so important for these guys to get that early lead going going into the third and kind of play with the advantage. Uh, Steven DeWald of Blazers Edge called it like quicksand. As soon as the Pelicans got into those runs in the third quarter, it felt like the Blazers were just gasping for air at that point and just couldn't catch up. Why were the Pelicans so good coming out of halftime, Ollie? Uh, simply focus. I think that having Rajon Rondo geared up and this whole playoff Rondo, whether it's true or not, the way I look at it simply is that there is a difference in his play. Um, when the Pelicans started to, uh, I guess the games got really important. 
Let me see. Actually, let's go back. Let's go back to when DeMarcus Cousins got hurt. There was suddenly a vacuum for somebody to step in and become a more dominant um, part of the offense. And Rajon Ronda was a natural fit simply because he's the one that commands the offense, likes to dictate where everybody goes. And when Boogie was around, Ronda often didn't have that um, privilege. He simply was told to kind of push a fast break. And if it wasn't there, the Pelicans would get right into their offense. And that would almost always go through uh, DeMarcus at the top of the key in one way or another. So when Boogie left, Rajon Rondo stepped in. And I think that honestly helped the Pelicans when you look at, you know, how everything's transpired over the course of the season now in the playoffs is Rondo kind of was able to gear up by being the dominant ball handler, by being the dominant guy on offense who dictated what was happening. And so with uh, then, then, of course, you have to add in the factor that the Pelicans were playing very meaningful games. The uh, got in such a big, uh, what was it? I guess the last month and a half, maybe two months, it was such a cat fight for uh, 10 teams in the Western Conference just to make the playoffs. So that, in essence, gave, spurred Rondo on, I think, to uh, kind of make sure that he brought it more times than not. And, of course, we noticed over the last week how big crucial he was in those wins against the Warriors and the Spurs. And, of course, it, it, it's basically he didn't even have to skip a beat, didn't have to make any adjustments. He just jumped right into playoffs doing what he had been doing. And so that was absolutely huge. Um, I mean, yeah, Preston, I think so that that therefore translates to the Pelicans not having any more lulls. You come out at the start of games completely focused. And of course, same thing with third quarters. It's all about just making sure you've got that intensity as soon as the buzzer sounds, as soon as the uh, clock starts ticking that you're ready to play. And honestly, the Pelicans, you know, in the first half, especially this season, they simply weren't, whether it was at the start of games or usually those third quarters. And that's why we're so used to those blues and why I guess now suddenly everybody's kind of shocked or uh, uh, noticing it. But honestly, I feel like the Pelicans have been really good in those third quarters for probably about two and a half, three months now. David, uh, one of the things that I heard Ollie say was focus. It was actually one of the first things he said. And there's there's been a lot of talk about playoff Rondo, and we've talked about this a little bit earlier, earlier you specifically, uh, with him in the starting lineup, 45 and 24. However, since DeMarcus Cousins went down, 25 and 9. And I'm, I'm going to walk around in, in a circle as to what I'm thinking about here. This this Pelicans team at some points earlier in the season we we questioned their focus we questioned their motivation it just it just didn't seem like they were dialed in at the right time and now it appears that they are and they're playing fluid uh, they're they're trouncing all expectations do you think that this is partially at least the Pelicans team that we've had all season long and they're just dialed in now well I think Ali hit on a really important point in saying that in giving Rondo the keys you finally had a leader on the floor. Uh, and I think that was in dispute for the first 35 to 40 games of the season. Uh, who was going to guide this team on the court? Uh, you didn't have dominant personalities outside of DeMarcus and um, Rondo. And Rondo started the season a little bit late and was on limited minutes. So it took him some time. I think now he's fully in command of the team on the floor. Uh, and when they go into uh, these situations where you know teams are making runs, uh, he's been able to prop up Anthony Davis. He's been able to prop up Drew Holiday. It feels like he knows when they need to have the ball right now, uh, and when they need to 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 be in uh, to be engaged defensively as well. He's been barking out signals. I think one of the things that came out of the series was that he was essentially calling out Portland's uh, offensive sets before they were even getting started, much like a middle linebacker in football. So to have that kind of intelligence on both ends of the floor and to have it not be uh, really be questioned for guys to understand that Rondo's been there and to kind of get behind him and him to know 
uh, what it means to have elite talent around you and, and how to get those guys in positions to do what they do best. I think that over the last few months has been the Pelicans identity. And we haven't seen those third quarter lulls. What you do see is periods of time of the game where the team loses focus. But I think that again, that comes from a, a group being together for less than a year. And there's going to still be those, uh, those chance, those um, chances for mistakes. But ultimately what we've seen is them morph from one team into another over the course of a season. And that's rare for any franchise to be have two completely different identities and they've done that. They've been one of the best defensive teams in the league since January 1st, and it's only gotten better. And in the postseason, obviously what they did to Portland over the first three games was exceptional defensively. Um, and, and offensively, I don't think there's any team that's been better in transition over the last couple of months. Yeah, definitely. They're just playing better and better and better. I'm, I'm going to follow that up with Ollie. What do, you, what do you think, Ali? Do you think that this is just a, a point of game planning? Do you think the Pelicans are just going balls to the wall and they weren't previously? Do you think everything's just magically clicking at the same point in time? Why have the Pelicans been so good the past three weeks, uh, we'll say, but you know, still managed early season losses against the Magic, against the Hawks, against the Kings, against the Mavericks? Why are they playing such good basketball now? I think David did a real good job of answering that. Uh, All, right, was... let's right <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move right along. All right, let's move right. I was let's... trying. Sorry, go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. All right, here we go. I was trying to fish for an answer there, and, and I just wasn't going to get it. Uh, but basically, just to capitalize on all this playoff Rondo stuff, I, I in my personal uh, opinion, don't think that they're re- a playoff Rondo doesn't exist. His numbers are comparable to where they were in the regular season, and I know that it seems that he's displaying a little bit more effort defensively because he's being matched up against Kevin Durant and he's poking the ball away. But if you look at his numbers, they're, they're pretty much identical. What the Pelicans have done a really good job of doing lately is matching him up with guys who can't take advantage of him. Do you agree with that, Mr. Grubb? Oh, absolutely. And and, I, and the assistant coaches have talked about that. I know that we've had conversations with Jamel McMillan where he said that part of the adjustment in the offense was to help Rondo on defense. And, and I think that those things are hand in hand. You you do. That's what good coaching is, I think, is putting guys in their best positions to succeed. They know what Rondo cannot do. And you have to have him on the court to figure that out. And at the beginning of the season, he wasn't there as often. Now that they've figured out what exactly they want to do with him, how they want to utilize Drew, and even they had to figure out how to how to manage Etwan's defensive limitations. And then once the, um, Nico Miritich, once they figured out that he could do so much more than they anticipated, I think, defensively, it's made everyone's jobs easier. There's been a lot. It, the switches have come easier. You don't see guys getting isolated um, in bad positions as much as you did. And the closeouts have been much better. Um, so Rondo isn't getting exposed. And when he's, he gets those favorable matchups, he's taking advantage of them because of his experience. Yeah, I don't think he's going to all of a sudden become a great defender. And he's not going to do that in the postseason. And there are going to be matchups still and um, that that are, don't work in his favor. Um, and we saw Quinn Cook, um, when they played uh, the Golden State Warriors, have some very good moments offensively against Rondo. Um, but that's what game planning is done. And in the first round, Darren Herman took advantage of, of what those limitations were in Portland's uh, uh, lineup and, and gave Rondo a position to succeed. And I think they'll try their best against Golden State, but it'll be a much more difficult situation to be to put him in.
Yeah, and I think that's one advantage that the Pelicans have going into this, and I'm glad that you brought up Quinn Cook, somebody who literally cooked Rajon Rondo in the first quarter. It was something like 12 or 14 points. He was 4 or 4. He he just got whatever he wanted in the second quarter. They matched him up against Andre Iguodala, and that was all she wrote for both of those players, and I think that's something the Pelicans can take advantage of in this round. So, too, against the Spurs when they faced off a month ago, had him paired against DeJounte Murray. That didn't work out well. This time against Danny Green, against the Portland Trailblazers, spent a lot of his time either facing off with Alfred Rukaminu, Evan Turner, Mo Harkless, in addition to help defending on CJ McCollum and Dame Lillard. Uh, but anyway, we've talked enough about that. Let's move right along, finally, to the Golden State Warriors. Tomorrow night, they should hopefully uh, route San Antonio so that we can get to playoff basketball on Saturday with Steph Curry out of the lineup. Before I get to that game, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge with a fadeaway three-point shot. It's it's As well as the Spurs played in that game, they did escape the the Golden State Warriors managed to pull within, I think, just two with a few minutes left, three minutes left. Ginobili had 10 points in the fourth quarter to seal it. Durant had a 34 and 13. Sean Livingston was able to play after spraining his ankle. Kevin Durant sprained his as well, an ugly sprain. In addition to that, you've got Steph Curry, who's been out with a, a second grade MCL sprain. I think it took place March 23rd. However, he's returned to practice some non-contact drills. Steve Kerr says he's not ready for five on five or contact, anything like that. He still has a few limitations let's talk about the state of the golden state warriors going into this of course their their last uh two weeks of the regular season they weren't playing any meaningful basketball and it really showed on the last night or second to last night of the year when they got trounced by the utah jazz how dangerous are the golden state warriors right now ollie um on a scale of one to ten probably a nine (laughs) they are in the playoffs of course and not only that i feel like they've been trending upwards as to where you know there was a lot of Games missed by the core, not only Steph Curry, but Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green. It was roughly all around the same time, too. So they kind of didn't have the, um, uh, let's say, the chance to basically peak for the playoffs. But, you know, as we took advantage, as a lot of teams, I think, beat them down the stretch, they had a lot more losses than anybody would have expected. But, of course, granted, as you mentioned, Preston, they had really nothing to play for. Their biggest key was just making sure everybody was coming into the playoffs healthy. And it looks like they've done that. So despite losing three of the last four games, it really hasn't mattered. I mean, San Antonio has honestly been outclassed, uh, at least in the first three games, where honestly you're even surprised to see or think maybe how the Spurs made the playoffs. But then, of course, they had that big inspirational game four win, and credit to them. Their players really stepped up um, with Coach Pop, obviously, away from the team due to the passing of his wife, Aaron. But uh, you knew the Spurs were going to try and win one, at least for the coach. And they've done that. But you've got to expect now Golden State to handle business there. And like I said, they're trending the right way, Preston. They have uh, got Kevin Durant clicking all cylinders. Clay Thompson, he's the guy I'm afraid of. He's absolutely lighting it up from three currently. Uh, in four games, he's well over 50%. And then, of course, you've got their other guys. They've got a great support staff. Although Draymond Green hasn't been really hitting his – or hasn't hit his shot almost all year. He's still very vital to what they do defensively, rebounding, and, of course, uh, being a good playmaker on that team. And then, of course, you got to throw in Iguodala, David West. They've got a lot of these veterans. So they're peaking in the right time. And, yeah, it, it presents a scary matchup for the Pelicans simply because even though they don't have Steph Curry, chances are he will be back. But besides that, they're still a damn good team without him. 
And we've got a question from Tejeda. It's just discussing X factors between the Pelicans and Golden State. And one that I want to bring up with you, David Grubb, is Sean Livingston. He's somebody that the Pelicans didn't face the last time they played these guys. And why Livingston poses a problem, at least defensively for the Pelicans, is his length at a point guard at age six, or sorry, I, I don't know his age, probably 34, at size six, seven, uh, terrific in the post. Uh, even somebody like Drew Holiday, such a cunning defender, he can just shoot right over him with his uh, excellent length. He's, he's going to be a problem for Rajon Rondo, Ian Clark, whoever faces up with him. He's just a long-bodied guy who knows how to weasel his way into the paint. How do you see him playing in this series, David? Yeah, uh, Livingston has always played well against the Pelicans. And this year he's had, uh, I think his offensive numbers were top two or three on the team against the Pelicans during the regular season. And you're absolutely right. That length is going to be an issue, not only for uh, Sean Livingston, but for just the, the the Warriors in general. They are a long team, and the Pelicans are a relatively short team. Uh, but Livingston, his ability to score in the mid-range, um, post up, and he can still pass. Um, you know, he still has great vision because he was a point guard coming up. So he can play, you know, at the point guard if need be. He can play the two, he can play the three, and he can defend all of those positions um, fairly well. So I think, yeah, absolutely, he's an X factor for Golden State. When he plays well, they play well, um, and it, particularly against the Pelicans. So they're going to have to do a solid job against him. And I think the bench in this series for the Pelicans is going to be far more important than it was uh, against Portland. Uh, to stay on that same line of questioning, Ali, I've got a question from my friend uh, Ralph Malbro. Uh, you can follow him at Saints Forecast. Of course, of course, he is the host to Saints Happy Hour, and we've got an episode debuting on May 1st, his episode of Drunk History Month, uh, talking about Jim Everett's time with the New Orleans Saints, I think somewhere about <laughs> 94 to 96. And his question is, who is a guy who wasn't a big factor versus the Blazers, but will have to be against Golden State? And we're talking about the bench, of course, Etwan Moore, Ian Clark, Darius Miller, Solomon Hill, Czech Diallo. None of these guys were really a factor offensively. They made shots when it mattered. We discussed their three-point shooting uh, in excess of 40%, I think, for Ian Clark, who was somewhere around 50, actually, and Darius Miller, who was at 43. But none of these guys got into double digits on a, on a regularity. I think Ian Clark did in one of the four games. But these guys are going to need to produce against Golden State. You have to anticipate that this one's going to be a bit higher scoring than the Blazers series was. Who would you expect of those four to step up in a big way or needs to step up in a big way Ollie yeah we'll probably get to it but the biggest thing about this whole series upcoming against the Warriors is going to be you just said it points Pelicans are going to have to score I think over 120 to have a chance to win most of these games so you know you what you're going to get from Davis Miritich Holiday and even Ronda you can count on him probably getting 10 to 15 because he's a very smart um, guy who sees the court well and knows when to drive and, of course, he's going to probably be presented with a few threes. But you're right. Somebody else, a fifth, sixth guy is going to have to step up. And thankfully for the Pelicans, they really don't have to have it just be one guy. I'm expecting it to be or hoping it to be each one more, simply because this guy is going to be getting the minutes. He's going to see 30-plus. So you want him to be aggressive, to trust his shot, to be confident, knock down a lot of threes, and basically go on a streak like he did in December and a few other times during the regular season. Um, if it's not going to be more than we've seen Alvin Gentry, especially down the stretch, he uh, is not uh, afraid to play and throw Ian Clark out there. And despite it being a really small backcourt with uh, Holiday, Rondo, and Clark, he uh, Clark, that is, finished a lot of games for the Pelicans simply because he was more aggressive. He was the one contributing more offensively and doing a lot of uh, other small things, too. So Gentry's got the luxury of rolling with either guy. 
Uh, you hope that both of them will be hot, but granted, when's that ever happen when everybody's firing on all cylinders? So really, Preston, to answer your question, you almost the Pelicans are going to need at least one of those two guys to be hot every game for them to have a chance to win. Wow. It sounds like it's going to be a tall order to take down these Warriors, uh, David Grubb. And part of it, Ali was just alluding to some of the, the rotations and adjustments that Gentry is going to have to tinker with. And he's going to have to go head to head against a very good staff in Steve Kerr, Mike Brown and Ron Adams. And one of his quotes after game four, obviously said tongue in cheek. Uh, he's good friends with all these guys having served on the staff just uh, three years ago. He said, I just want to out coach Steve Kerr. And like I said, it's a, it's a good cast of characters, and they definitely know how to make adjustments. They've been on this stage before. Do you, do you think there's a possibility, first of all, uh, that, that he could potentially outcoach this, this staff with Chris Finch and Darren Ehrman at his side? And what kind of adjustments do you think it'll take to do that? Um, I don't think it's so much as outcoaching. I mean, this would be the greatest coaching job of, of many people's careers. I mean, quite frankly, it. I think the Pelicans will be very competitive in this series, but to, to come up with a game plan that will beat the Warriors, mm-hmm. I think it, it, I mean, it, that's a, that's a tall hill to climb. Um, so I don't think it really comes down to coaching. It comes down to how these guys are going to perform on this stage, because like Ali said, some of the reserve guys are going to have to play a little bit above their heads, not just on offense, but defensively as well. Um, so Guys like a Darius Miller, who even if he's not scoring, he's going to be called on at times to defend, and he's going to have to do that without fouling. And I'm sure at some point, Cech Diallo is going to have to going to have to be on the floor, and again, he's going to he's going to be uh, called on to grab rebounds and 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 protect the rim. Uh, and, uh, and I think that that's going to be the biggest thing: is can the reserves can they motivate the reserves or find a button to push with the reserves to get them to play a little bit above their heads? Because like. Um, Ali was talking about you can absolutely count on pretty much what you're going to get out of the top four guys on this roster but from four to eight four to nine on any given night who's going to be a guy who steps up and plays that role of star of the night uh, and, and and I think that that comes down to it being more than just trying to outcoach Steve Kerr because Kerr has more pieces at his disposal and I think that that's not on Gentry and it's not on Ehrman and that's not on Finch. That's just something that they, you, they're going into a fight with less weapons. And one advantage that the Pelicans do have going into this contest is their coach on the floor, Rajon Rondo. We've got an article on the birdrights.com uh, just talking about the kind of preparation that he takes into a playoff series. And uh, I think his name is Chuck Klosterman on uh, Bill Simmons podcast did a really good job of explaining how Rajon Rondo sees the floor and how he dictates the pace, even when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Ali, uh, I'm going to go and quiet down my dog. And while I do that, why don't you discuss how Rajon Rondo can kind of be the coach on the floor and can kind of dictate this game for the Pelicans? I'm Ollie? sorry, was that too question? Yeah, that's for Ali. I gotcha. Um, yeah, so Rajon Rondo, that's exactly right, Preston. Point guards and uh, guys that really dominate the ball, control offenses, are very crucial in very close series, of course. So Rajon Rondo, who's been there, has done that, and he's very comfortable in that position. I mean, let's face it, against the Trailblazers, he had a couple games where he had like 16 or 17 assists against only two turnovers. That's what the Pelicans are going to need. They're going to need the smart, decisive um, decision-making that's going to open up a lot of easy points where it's going to get the shooters, hit them right in their sweet spots. Because let's face it, the Pelicans, they're not the best shooting squad, so it's vital, and that's why Rondo's been so important. He knows where the guys... Uh, who needs, you know, to get off. So he'll try and get them an easy bucket, like Meritus, for instance. Try and find him on a cut to the rim. 
um, where you hit each one more. You got to hit them right in the bed bread basket. You don't want the shooters that are kind of you know streaky, reaching down to their toes or above their heads to catch a pass and then shoot a three ball. Even though they're open, it still doesn't really help. So that's why Rondo's so perfect. I feel like for this Pelicans and why he honestly legitimately gives them a chance to at least win a couple of games. Um, and let's face it, the Warriors don't play well. Rondo can take advantage of it. The Pelicans take advantage of it if they're shooting um, on average a lot better than the Golden State Warriors. And a lot of that has to do with Rajon Rondo's decision-making. Like I said, he's the guy that makes this tempo, this offense go. He's the one that can find Anthony Davis better than literally any other guy in this NBA on those roles for those easy, uh, you know, whatever, cuts, backdrops, whatever whatever the guy's doing to get to the rim. He's always finding AD for at least five, six, seven, eight whatever, uh, lob dunks, stuff like that. That's what he's going to need to do, Preston, uh, for the, the Pelicans to maintain, um, you know, keep up the pace at what I'm expecting Golden State Warriors to do. Because let's face it, there's not going to be a gimmick defense that's going to work. Get this whole Darren Ehrman switching, uh, double teaming, save Durant, stuff like that. It's not going to work because unlike the Blazers, the uh, Warriors have so many more weapons. So they would just simply abuse us wherever that – where we're giving up basically the advantage. So, no, it's going to come down to points, and the way to do that is through Rajon Rondo's vision, passing ability, and hopefully um, his wit. Well, I need to take a moment to apologize to the United States uh, Postal Service. Uh, apparently, there is a thunderstorm outside, so that is the reason why they rang the doorbell to try to keep my package from getting ruined. <laughs> so publicly apologizing to the federal government on that one. And sorry to my dog who uh, is beside himself with grief right now. <laughs> All I got to say is that earlier time he was barking, it came at a perfect moment when David McKay said, the Pelicans are only going to win one game. I swear they were <laughs> voicing their dissent. I love your dogs. They're true Pelicans fans. <laughs> oh, gosh. Good dog. Um, all right. We're moving right uh, right along. Our star of the podcast, Buddy, is going to go and take a break for a moment while we get back to David Grubb. Let's get back to some line of questioning. This one is also from Tejeda, and he's basically saying, which transition offense do you prefer in this matchup? Obviously, both of these teams uh, capitalized on getting out in transition. Ali was just talking about some of those lob dunk alley-oops that Rajon Rondo can seemingly cost, uh, uh, toss from the other end of the court, excuse me. And so, too, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, all these guys are lethal when you're running up and down the floor. Who do you think has the better transition offense right now, David? I mean, I think talent-wise, you'd you say Golden State is, has the opportunity to be more effective on the fast break. But I think for the Pelicans, the fast break is the necessity. It's a, it's a way of life. They have to run. When they, when they don't get um, buckets in transition, when they don't get Anthony – those backdoor lobs when drew is not going downhill the offense becomes a lot more complicated in the half court golden state has the ability because they have so many guys who can do different things and because of their size um, there is no bad option for them in the half court but for the pelicans you can take away things when they get into the half court so i think yeah i mean naturally by talent you'd say golden state but i think for the pelicans because running is their way of life they can be far more damaging in the half court when they're committed to it and they're hitting on all cylinders. All right. 
So let's move away from that line of questioning. We've got one from Solomon uh, addressing Drew Holiday and some of his incentive hits. Ali, I know that you'll probably have a better idea as to these than I do, but looking at SpotRack, I can tell you some of the bonuses. Uh, $4.7 annually and likely unlikely bonuses. Some that he's hit, 510000 for playing in 66 games. That one was a likely one and playing 2,075 minutes. Of course, this year he started 81 games, missing a game, I want to say, against the with flu-like uh, symptoms, but I can't remember specifically who it was. I remember it was the game two in the three games and three nights. So maybe it was against the Pacers. I can't remember. But another one was 255000 for playing in 65 games, averaging 7.3 assists and 3.15 rebounds. That one is an unlikely one, one that he did not hit this year. And then there's two B, uh, TBD. This is all from Bobby Marks of ESPN. TBD for making the All-Star team, which of course he didn't do. TBD for making the postseason season which he did do tbd for some unspoken statistical bonus that we are not privy to and tbd for all nba and that does include all defense so he would get another bump up in salary if he should be able to do that which in all likelihood you think he would the voting has already taken place and it's been closed to this point but ali do you have any more background information on this and some of his incentives no you nailed it preston you answered it well i think right when we look at them all the only one that he's not going to get was going to be the assist one correct yeah, so far, and the all-star uh, appearance. Oh, but, right, right, yeah. Like post- Other than that, yeah, it looks like he was going to get everything else, so yeah. Good, yeah, so, good for him. Props to him for earning that extra money this year. Yeah, so I know that he'll have his eyes uh, tightly on the All-NBA defensive announcements. I, I don't think it'd be likely for him to make the third team All-NBA with you, David. No, I, I, not this year. I think the momentum for Drew came so late in the year that that he's just not going to make an All-NBA team. Uh, but the, the all defensive team, I think, is you know, we we know that's a lock. I think we answered this other one from Tejeda. It said, which potential matchup switch that you're looking forward to in this matchup? And we talked about Sean Livingston. We talked about what Ian Clark and Etwan Moore and Darius Miller are going to need to contribute. Solomon Hill is going to have to play better. It's specifically defensively, I'm sure they're going to at least try him against Kevin Durant and see what happens. Uh, William Smith had a similar one. He said, if I told you now the Pelicans win in seven behind crazy performances from three of none of the big four, who would they be and why? And of course, that would have to be uh, some version of Etwan Moore, Ian Clark, Darius Miller. I don't think that Solomon Hill is going to go on any kind of scoring spree. I will ask this to Ali. Uh, Alvin Gentry attempted to play Jack Diallo in game one and game two, and he wasn't a complete catastrophe, but you could just say that the moment was a little big for him. He had a couple of uh, nervous jitters, and Gentry pulled the plug on him pretty quickly. And they also attacked uh, the, the Blazers using a lot of small ball, and that forced their hand in taking guys like Ed Davis and Yusuf Nurkic off the floor and playing a lot of Zach Collins, which allowed the Pelicans to play a bit faster. I expect to get some minutes from Jack Diallo and Emeka Okafor in this series, Ali. It's going to it's going to depend on what he sees in practice, what the uh, coaches see on the game footage, because you're right. Check Diallo has his minutes have been trending downwards as towards Solomon Hills now been eating up a lot of minutes at the four. And Miritich has played a lot of five when Davis has sat. So, yeah, he's basically gone down into a three man lineup, especially in game four. I don't think Diallo even got a single minute there. So I think the expectation is. You know, I'm going to say that he's going to stick with what works as a gut instinct. Um, I know that they've got David West. Um, they're a little bit bigger. They're a little bit bulkier. So that may play, you know, some kind of role in Gentry's line of thinking. But I think I'm really tempted to say he's just going to roll with probably Solomon Hill getting a lot of those 
minutes at the four because he's bulky. And we saw him actually, I thought he did a really good job over the last couple of games battling for position down low and getting some rebounds. I think he totaled four in each of the last two games. So Solomon, if he can do that, if he can just get the rebounds, I think the uh, coaching staff would be more than happy to roll with that. Simply because like we've been talking about on and off throughout the year, Diallo just simply has of course shown those flashes, but anything consistent? No, not yet. Not even close. And of course on the playoffs, um, this, this big stage, we kind of saw what happened to him in that first game. I don't know if you guys remember, but he, he got some minutes and they weren't very good. He short-armed one shot, I remember. Then he completely followed that up with uh, trying to chase an offensive rebound, and it resulted in just a really stupid foul. So if the coaching staff sees that, if they believe that's what's going to happen, then no, there's not going to be Diallo. And, you know, it's hard to say Emeka Okafor is going to play. Every time we thought coming down the stretch, once he came out of the starting lineup, that because of a matchup he would see playing time, it never happened. So, no, Preston, I'm leaning towards no. I think they're going to try and stay small. Um, unless, of course, it, it's just basically obvious that they just need to put more size out there. But if not, yeah, I'm just going to I'm going to say they're going to stick with what worked against Portland. They're going to try it against the Warriors because let's face it, the Warriors, they, they don't slow it down. They don't go and feed the post um, and they like to run. So, yeah, I think everything points to what I said. We're just going to see with what basically how it ended in the Portland series. And guys like JaVale McGee and Zaza Pachulia have been playing less and less uh, as the playoffs have gone on in the previous few years. The Not a lot of minutes for a big man ever since Andrew Bogut left Golden State with that injury. And then he went to Dallas and I can't even remember Cleveland for a hot second, the Lakers. Uh, let's wrap this up. David Grubb, I know you've got to run. Uh, some predictions from some of our listeners. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 says Warriors in seven. Solomon, uh, he talked about Solomon Hill a little bit. I think we addressed that. So thank you to his question. He says Pelicans in six with Steph because he's not going to be 100% and hopefully on a minutes restriction. So Drew and Rondo are going to be all over him like they were on Harkless. Do it for Boogie, says Golden State in seven, and we are going to have some fun. Let's see what else. Uh, We've got Dogs on top. He says uh, Pels in six if Steph comes back. Say game three, four, Golden State in six, but see it going seven. And then we've got Shermanator, Pels in four. Before I get your prediction, David, do you think there's any chance the Pelicans should uh, attempt some some emotional warfare by bringing back creepy Pierre the Pelican for Game Three? <laughs> no, no, no. I think that's bad for everyone involved. Uh, let's 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 leave that where it, it is in the past. Uh, <laughs> but it's <laughs> that came out of nowhere, Preston. <laughs> that, that would hit me really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking now about creepy Pierre and the king cake baby on the floor at the same time, and now I'm I'm, I'm scarred emotionally. That's and what I'm I was going to ask next, Ali. Should the Pelicans find themselves down to nothing, do you think at any point in time the king cake baby makes an appearance? I would. Yeah, why not? Throw him out there. <laughs> See if he can uh, spook maybe Curry, Thompson, just, just for a hot second, right? I don't know. <laughs> get back to David on his predictions. I don't know why we're talking about. This. All right, David, <laughs> Saturday night, the Pelicans are going to start uh series number two of the Western conference semifinals. They're going to face off with golden state. Once golden state disposes, which we all think that they will of San Antonio tomorrow night. And let's, let's bring it on. We don't need to wait any longer than we already have. What do you think happens in game one in golden state? Um, I think that's, that's the opportunity for the Pelicans to steal one. Um, I think that they're on playing on a, a high right now. Um, you know, I think they can come in. The Warriors are still will still be trying to figure out a, a new opponent uh, without Stephen Curry. Uh, uh, Pelicans know who they are 
And like I say, I don't think Alvin will make a lot of changes for game one. I think it's the best opportunity to steal one of the first two. Um, so I'll go ahead and say the Pelicans uh, steal game one, um, like 125 to 122 or something like that. It'll be very, very close. But I think the Pelicans, it'll be one where Golden State is having to come back in the fourth um, and uh, because the Pelicans, I think, will, will get a first half lead and will hang on for that one. Yeah, and the Pelicans have done a good job against Golden State this year of getting up early, and the leads have all just fizzled late up until that game about two weeks ago. And and I think Grubb's exactly right. If the Pelicans do want to make this series interesting, I think they do have to come out and punch Golden State in the mouth before they get Steph Curry back. Is that what you're seeing, Ollie? Yeah, I'm honestly looking for the Pelicans to win one of those first two games in Oakland. They're just playing too well. Unless they suffer, you know, the worst of slumps suddenly – a few of the players lose confidence, like say I'm looking at Meritich and Holiday, then uh, of course that that's not going to happen. But again, there's no reason to think otherwise. They've won nine in a row. And uh, this starting lineup against the Golden State Warriors back in la- last week of April, or that first week of April, last regular week of the regular season, uh, they beat the uh, Golden State Warriors starters, minus Steph Curry, of course, but that's who we're going to be playing by 12 points. So They've proven that they can score even a lot at a higher clip than the best. Uh, And that's, of course, the effort that's going to take. But again, I'm expecting them to have at least one of those first two games are going to come out hot where more more than most or more than the majority of the players are going to be on fire as to where they're hitting uh, over 50 percent of their shots, let's say, and hitting some threes. So, yeah, one or two um, games, one or two, they're going to they're going to steal a victory. I'm, I'm almost positive of it. They're just playing too well, you know. All right. And Ali is the uh, fortune teller at this point because he did pick the Pels almost correctly in five. And he even said in his article he was just trying to be nice, but he was overwhelmingly confident in the Pelicans' chances. So I feel very confident hearing that from Ali Cosell. Hopefully these guys don't shrink from the moment and uh, they they keep their resiliency that's carried them through the 2017-18 season right into round two. Thank you so much again to David McKay of BlazersEdge.com where he serves as editor. Follow him at David McKay NBA and at Blazers Edge. And thank you to our two local celebrities, Ali Cosell and David Grubb. Uh, of course, be sure to follow them at Ali Cosell and at David Grubb. You have been listening to the Bird Calls again. I'm your host, Preston Ellis. Uh, let's start with Grubb because we know that you have to run. Go ahead and plug yourself, Crescent City Sports, and any more radio or television appearances you might have coming up. Yeah, um, every Thursday, KYOK in Houston. Um, I We talk uh, basketball usually it's a debate about the Rockets and the Pelicans so that's always fun get to antagonize the folks over there and uh, on Fridays uh, WBOK radio uh, at one o'clock uh, with Roe Brown so um, you know another local sports legend that I love to to talk to so that's where else folks can catch me besides uh, of course at crescentcitysports.com very cool. And I know we've got some great content on the birdrights.com right now about Anthony Davis and about Rajon Rondo, among other things. Ali, why don't you go ahead and plug yourself and what you've got coming down the pipeline? Oh, we're going to take an obvious and in-depth look at the Golden State Warriors. Um, I've really got to look at, you know, again, that's how I felt like I did so well with Portland is just to see all these nuances that the national media missed. Just see what I can find. I'm not expecting to find something obviously as overwhelming. Uh, that's going to point to the Pelicans' advantage or maybe lack thereof. Uh, everything points to this team, these two teams being very similar, um, almost all regular season and in the playoffs. They're scoring a lot of points. They're knocking down shots, shooting them at a good clip, uh, getting out in transition, getting a bunch of assists versus turnovers. So they very they play very similar. Um, so, I, But I'm going to still try and find some of those differences, of course, 
We're all going to give our predictions and uh, several other roundtables I've got planned. All right. Very cool. Uh, Again, you guys have been listening to the bird calls. And since we have your attention for a moment, if you do have one, please uh, give us a five-star rating on iTunes. It's, It's really easy. I promise. Just search the bird calls on your Apple podcast app, then scroll all the way down. We really appreciate it. We're working hard to give you guys the best knowledge experts like David Grubb, David McKay, Ali Cosell. We're going to have a couple of guys from the Warriors. And here is your chance to give back to us. If you do feel so inclined, we appreciate you listening. Nonetheless, Now, should the Dubs manage to defeat the Spurs tomorrow, we will have a very special guest on Thursday afternoon. So look forward to that. But for now, that's Ollie. That's David Grubb. I'm Preston. Let's go, pals. Hope you've enjoyed listening to the bird calls on OTG and nothing but net here on Dash Radio. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online. Please be the cheetah. Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish. Oh, come on. To add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to GEICO. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance. GEICO presents yet another voicemail from your roommate. Hi. So, about the kitchen. Turns out when there's a grease fire, you're not supposed to throw water on it. (laughs) Who would have known, right? Anyways, the fire department is here and it's totally cool. Give me a call back when you get a chance. The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected. Like if danger is your roommate's middle name. Visit geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance.